Section 4 of Inquiry Concerning Political Justice and Its Influence on Morals and Happiness. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tina Ding. Inquiry Concerning Political Justice and Its Influence on Morals and Happiness by William Godwin. Book One of the Powers of Man Considered in His Social Capacity. Chapter One Introduction. Subject of Inquiry of the First Book Received Ideas of Political Institutions. Propriety of These Ideas Questioned. Plan of the First Book. The object proposed in the following work is an investigation concerning that form of public or political society, that system of intercourse and reciprocal action extending beyond the bounds of a single family, which shall be found most to conduce to the general benefit. How may the peculiar and independent operation of each individual in the social state most effectually be preserved? How may the security each man ought to possess as to his life and the employment of his faculties, according to the dictates of his own understanding, be most certainly defended from invasion? How may the individuals of the human species be made to contribute most substantially to the general improvement and happiness? The inquiry here undertaken has for its object to facilitate the solution of these interesting questions. In entering upon this investigation, nothing can be more useful than to examine into the extent of the influence that is to be ascribed to political institutions, in other words, into the powers of men as they have modified or may hereafter modify his social state of existence. Upon this subject, there has been considerable difference of opinion. The most usually received hypothesis is that which considers the effects of government or social institutions, whether acting by express regulations or otherwise, as rather of a negative than positive nature. No doubt the purposes for which government was established are in their strictest sense negative, to maintain us in the possession of certain advantages against the occasional hostility either of domestic or foreign invaders. But does the influence of government stop at the point for the sake of which mankind were first prevailed on to adopt it? Those who believe that it does or can stop at this point necessarily regard it as a matter of subordinate disquisition or at most only coordinate with several others. They survey man in his individual character, in his domestic connections, and in the pursuits and attachments which his feelings may incline him to adopt. These, of course, fill the principal part of the picture. These are supposed by the speculators of whom we now speak to be in ordinary cases 
independent of all political systems and establishments. It is only in peculiar emergencies and matters that depart from the accustomed routine of affairs that they conceive a private individual to have any occasion to remember or to be in the least affected by the government of his country. If he commit or is supposed to commit any offense against the general welfare, if he find himself called upon to repress the offense of another, or if any danger from foreign hostility threaten the community in which he resides, in these cases and these only is he obliged to recollect that he has a country. These considerations impose upon him the further duty of consulting, even when no immediate danger is nigh, how political liberty may best be maintained and male administration prevented. Many of the best patriots and most popular writers on the subject of government appear to have proceeded upon the principles here delineated. They have treated morality and personal happiness as one science, and politics as a different one. But while they have considered the virtues and pleasures of mankind as essentially independent of civil policy, they have justly remarked that the security with which the one can be exercised and the other enjoyed will be decided by the wisdom of our public institutions and the equity with which they are administered and have earnestly pressed it upon the attention of mankind not to forget in the rectitude or happiness of the present moment those precautions in that generous plan of power which may tend to render it impregnable to the stratagems of corruption or the insolence of tyranny. But while we confess ourselves indebted to the labors of these writers, and perhaps still more to the intrepid language and behavior of these patriots, we are incited to inquire whether the topic which engaged their attention be not of higher and more extensive importance than they suspected. Perhaps government is not merely in some cases the defender, and in others the treacherous foe of the domestic virtues. Perhaps it insinuates itself into our personal dispositions and insensibly communicates its own spirit to our private transactions. Were not the inhabitants of ancient Greece and Rome indebted in some degree to their political liberties for their excellence in art and the illustrious theater they occupy in the moral history of mankind? Are not the governments of modern Europe accountable for the slowness and inconstancy of its literary efforts and the unworthy selfishness that characterizes its inhabitants? Is it not owing to the governments of the East that that part of the world can scarcely be said to have made any progress in intellect or science? When skepticism or a spirit of investigation has led us to start these questions, we shall be apt not to stop at them. A wide field of speculation opens itself before us. 
If government thus insinuates itself in its effects into our most secret retirements, who shall define the extent of its operation? If it be the author of this much, who shall specify the points from which its influence is excluded? May it not happen that the grand moral evils that exist in the world, the calamities by which we are so grievously oppressed, are to be traced to political institutions as their source, and that their removal is only to be expected from its correction? May it not be found that the attempt to alter the morals of mankind singly and in detail is an injudicious and futile undertaking, and that the change of their political institutions must keep pace with their advancement in knowledge if we expect to secure to them a real and permanent improvement? To prove the affirmative of these questions shall be the business of this first book. The method to be pursued for that purpose shall be, first, to take a concise survey of the evils existing in political society, secondly, to show that these evils are to be ascribed to public institutions, and thirdly, that they are not the inseparable condition of our existence, but admit of removal and remedy. End of section four.